Welcome to There Is Sumter About It. Straight talk about things you care about today in real time with real friends. I'm Assemblywoman Shavonda Sumter, a New Jersey State Representative. Today, we're talking about pandemic fatigue with my friend who is on the front lines, Dr. Damali Campbell. The Hill headline, two years into the pandemic and our healthcare workforce is still suffering. At the start of the pandemic, many of us were terrified of this virus. We were worried about our patients, our colleagues, and about transmitting the virus to family and friends. Many healthcare workers are overburdened by a stressful work environment our guest is very much connected and in tune to the healthcare environment. Joining me is my friend, Damali Campbell, president of the New Jersey Medical Association. Dr. Campbell is a physician, board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology and addiction medicine. For almost two decades, she has dedicated her practice to the care for women in underserved areas. In fact, her connections to her patients and the medical community in her role as president of the New Jersey Medical Association helped elected officials at all levels understand the gravity of the state of our health. Routine appointments were foregone and practitioners decided to leave the field of healthcare altogether. Now it's time to welcome Dr. Damali Campbell to their Sumter About It. Dr. Damali Campbell, welcome. Oh, thank you. I love that name, something about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So if you can just share with us um, how access to routine care has been impacted and the availability of specialists uh, today uh, with the pandemic. Yeah, that's, you know, so important and a really go- great question. Um, so I'll start off with talking about routine care. Um, like you mentioned, Uh, When the pandemic started, um, a lot of offices, a lot of hospitals had to just forego routine care. Nothing was wrong. It was kind of like hold off, you know. Um, Many doctors were just kind of calling in prescriptions, giving you your medicine to continue um, because, again, we were all kind of facing this uh, for the first time together, right? Um, And there were so many aspects of this illness, of this pandemic that were new, not only to um, our communities, but even to physicians, even to healthcare workers. Um, As we started to learn more, as we started to get more evidence, as we started to get the vaccine and get ourselves back on track, um, offices started to open back up. But there was still, um, and I think rightly so, a reluctance on many people's part. Is it okay? Is it safe? Right? Because uh, it was like a huge fear put out there. So, like, right. you just don't just say, okay, well, like, come back and it's everything's okay. No. So uh, there certainly was a reluctance. We saw, uh, for instance, in our practice, many people who, you know, would have come for their annual GYN visit um, who put that off, you know, a year, more than a year. In fact, I did. I just made my appointment when I knew I was seeing you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and 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 the truth about it is that healthcare workers are human beings, human beings in the community. So, you know, we are representative of everybody in the community. Um, but you know, in on 
in regards to the issue of routine care, you know, there were lots of people who put that to the side. And then, you know, again, as we got back into uh, some new sense of normalcy, you know, there was just there were so many things that were impacted and so many things that we weren't tending to that we needed to tend to. You know, people were trying to get back into work, trying to get the kids back into school. So there were so many reasons that you couldn't just get back to normal, quote unquote, normal. Right. right? Um, and so I think that impacted everybody getting back into routine care you know, kind of, and, and that those impacts, we're, we're still seeing that to today. If you can share a little bit, um, and you mentioned this, doctor's offices were closed. Our doctors are also um, family members, right? They're also moms, they're dads. Uh, they take care of loved ones. They had to educate their children at home. Uh, what's some of the direct and indirect uh, impact on healthcare workers um, that we're now living with and makes accessibility an issue today? Such an important question. I mean, I think, you know, as I think about this on so many different levels, um, that I think not even my family members or patients think about, but, you know, as women, we have made huge strides in the workforce. Right. Um, in our current medical school class, 50% of medical students are women. Oh, That's boy. a you great get, accomplishment, right? A finger snap for that. <laughs> but on the other end of that, we know that as women complete their education, complete their residency training, they are still burdened. And, you know, I hate to say burdened because it makes it seem like something we don't want to do. I, You know, right. and I know you, I know you, <laughs> I know we all want to take care of our kids. But yes. That is a job in and of itself. Certainly is. You know? <laughs> um, and so the challenge is that for professional women, not just physicians and healthcare workers, but for all professional women, the challenge is how do we manage all these different responsibilities, the responsibilities of our career as well as at home, um, and at least what we've seen for um, in the health professions is that that has been a huge challenge. So as women finish their residency and their training, they're they're struggling to have a good balance. Right. And so, you know, there are some statistics that are showing they're leaving the workforce earlier. So now that creates a bit of a problem, right. you know, because if, if in the pandemic, and I know it was something I considered myself, I know it was something many of my colleagues considered, I have a kid at home who has to homeschool. How am I going to manage going out of the house, especially when you have kids who can't do it on their own? I have a high schooler, but I also have a middle schooler. So the high right. schooler is kind of okay. They can, man, you know, they really don't want you there, <laughs> you know, but the middle right. schooler, you know, right. you still got to make sure they're not like opening up the Roblox uh, <laughs> app while they're supposed to be, you know, learning English, right? Exactly. You know, yes. so, uh, you know, it, it's a challenge that we all have to manage and of course, the, the the additional challenge that the pandemic brought is that you may have had extended family that you relied on, but now you can't rely on them because that support system that support system that you may have had, if they weren't in your house, maybe you couldn't rely on them in that same way because now 
additional challenge. Can they come back and forth? You know, are they vaccinated? Are they unvaccinated? You know, all these additional questions that are brought into play. (laughs) So many factors. And and as we look at that, uh, just, you know, COVID-19 changed the way we moved, interacted with others, saw home life and work life. Many reevaluated dreams and goals, and that's what you were talking about with the women uh, who have uh, gone to medical school or professionals, uh, graduate work, uh, and after two years of necessary moves to protect public health, uh, who are still feeling the impact of and working to recuperate from pandemic life. They're tired, pandemic fatigue, and finding ways to reboot their lives post-pandemic. So the pandemic has been taxing our resilience from the beginning over two and a half years since the United States first lockdown and more than a year since the vaccine rollout began. Some are still feeling the weight of the last two years and getting back to normal. What would you say to people who are just over it when we know the virus is still out there? You know, uh, I always tell, I say one of my weaknesses is that, you know, I can't like tell a lie. (laughs) I'm over it too. Like I am so over it. Like I can't anymore. But in that moment when I'm over it, I have to tell you what I think about um, is, you know, the number of times. So as an OBGYN, and I spend, you know, I still am practicing and still delivering babies. Um, and so babies come whenever they want to. They sure don't pick do. a time. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> and unfortunately, they have not gotten the nine to five memo, right? <laughs> you know, so those nights that I, I spend, you know, in the hospital, in a typical night, uh, we would, you might hear every now and then a code blue call. Mm. But during the depth of the pandemic, I mean, we just heard Code Blue over and over and over again, Mm. Um, 11, 13 times a night. And so I totally get it. I am so over it, you know. Yes. And Um, and just so we understand, uh, and I come from a hospital Mm. background as well, code blues you would hear. Yeah, code blue is means pre-pandemic though. Yeah, how often would you hear a code blue? Like once a night. Once a night. Maybe once a night. Right. So now hearing it thirteen, thirteen, fourteen times in one night. And code blue means like somebody's having a medical emergency. Um, that they're at, this is a life or death situation. So, I mean, that's what Code Blue is about. So you, it, we don't hear it every night, but you might typically hear it maybe once. But to hear it over and over and over again is just like stunning. Sure. Stunning. Um, and so that's kind of what I think of when I feel like I'm so over this mask, and I'm so over <laughs> this whole situation. And then I think of that, you know, hearing the code blue 13 times, you know, uh, and then I'm like, no, you got to do what you got to do. Like, you right. know, if that's the if that's the least you have to do to stay safe is, is wear a mask and you're willing to do that and remind yourself of that. In a poll by Monmouth University, the end of last year, six in 10 Americans feel worn out by pandemic related changes. They have had to make changes to their daily lives over the past 20 months. This includes 
36% who feel worn out a lot and 24% who feel worn out a little. The poll also finds that nearly half of the public feels angry about how COVID has impacted their daily lives, 24% a lot and 21% a little. Any reaction to this poll data and what you are seeing in real time from patients and professionals? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not so surprised, um, but, you know, I, I, I'm a half uh, full half glass full girl, you know. (laughs) And so again, you know, um, did pandemic cause change? Absolutely. And we always know that change is hard. But I think that there was also some positive change that was created by the pandemic. I mean, we didn't sit down and have dinner so much. Very true. Prior to the pandemic, (laughs) because it was always so easy to just go, 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 go. You know, Um, you know, my kids affectionately like their favorite food is like a fast food type of situation like you know my you know mother my mother-in-law is like you know like oh my god right (laughs) so (laughs) well balanced yeah you know so like I think we think about some of the good things that came out of the pandemic the chance that we got to spend time with each other Um, to actually cook at home, to sit down and play a game because we couldn't just run out um, to a place. Right. Uh, for you know, To an activity. Correct. For entertainment. To the movies. So we sat down and we had movie night and we, you know, we had to choose different things. So um, I try to, yes, most certainly there were changes. And, you know, it changed our life. It changed everybody's life. And change is part of life. But... Um, I do feel that there were some positive aspects. And I try to point those out, not only in my own life, but also to my patients. I try to pull out those aspects that are positive and, and let's use those as focus points. Great, great. As we move into this new normal, crowded spaces such as restaurants, concerts, and sporting events, anxiety and mental health concerns are very real for some, especially through this first year post-mask wearing. Could you share some mental wellness or overall wellness tips that you think may be helpful? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think we're going to have to be patient with each other. And I'm really um, I think it's unfortunate that mask or anything related to COVID has become politicized in any way. Um, I think. What I try to tell people is we have to be patient with one another and just do what feels comfortable. So even with my kids, um, fully vaccinated, going to school and the mask mandate has been dropped, they asked me, you know, should they wear their mask? And I said, you do what's going to feel comfortable for you. And that if you feel more comfortable wearing the mask, then that's what you do. Um and I want them to kind of navigate that on their sp- that space for themselves, right? Right. Um, and I t- I let them know it's not a political <laughs> statement. It's not you know right. you because everybody has to do what's going to feel comfortable for them. And I tell people, listen, I work in an environment where the patients I see are number one is a higher percentage of them who are unvaccinated. 
So I pose a risk to them. Sure. So I'm still going to wear my mask <laughs> because I'm trying to protect not myself because I don't see myself as at particular risk. I have been vaccinated. I've been boosted. But I can still – that doesn't mean I can't carry the virus. But who am I carrying the virus to? I'm carrying the virus to a group of patients who are very vulnerable. Yes. So my wearing the mask is very important to protect them. So I do feel like people may make individual choices based on the jobs they do, the spaces they move in. Um, and we have to be respectful of that and just kind of be patient that everybody's going to do this at their own pace. And that's okay. Right. That's okay. Sage advice. Sage advice. How is the medical community dealing with the post-pandemic era and lessons learned? Good question. <laughs> we hope there's, you know, there's definitely a lot of lessons learned. Right. Uh, you know, I guess time is going to tell. Have we actually learned them? I mm. think, you know, one of the huge lessons learned is that we didn't have enough support and infrastructure in public health. Mm, that's um, true. And going forward, we need to, at a bare minimum, maintain, but we need to think about how we can support that infrastructure because I guess the reality is that this may not be the last. I know that right. sounds like we don't want to, like, actually think about that, right. you know, but maybe this won't be the last um, viral pathogen that we face. I'm sure it will not be, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, and so if the lesson learned is how can we ramp things up when we need to, um, in a, you know, very swift fashion um, from a public health standpoint, you know, how can we do that? I think that will be very helpful. And with that, it's, it's definitely communication with partners to get there, because I know we stayed in Absolutely. touch continuously throughout. So elected officials were informed on what was needed on the ground. So we weren't just reading the newspapers, watching the press, uh, but had real time information that was valuable to support the needs of public health. Absolutely. The, the real time on the ground. And I think also the use of technology, mm, you that know, was big. it's amazing to me that um the technology is there, and the question is, how do we use it? So if I start shopping for a pair of shoes and I get distracted and pulled away, when I come back to the computer, it will tell me, you were shopping for this. Do you sure still will. want it, right? <laughs> It'll be in your cart. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, you forgot, <laughs> you know. How do we use that technology? How can we use that technology to say, hey, you missed your mammogram. You want to come back in? You missed your EKG. You missed your yes. routine examination. The technology obviously is there. So how can we use it in a way, in the healthcare way, in the healthcare field, to make it more meaningful um, for that routine screening? Because we know that the preventive care... Right is so important, less expensive, and has a greater investment. Long-term. Long-term. Absolutely. Quality of life. I, I like that idea. I, I may borrow that one. 
<laughs> Please I'll do. I have the lots first of time. Look, I'll give you credit the first time, the second time I own it. <laughs> How can patients become more educated, uh, in your opinion, and voicing their concerns around safety, fears, and anxiety? Because that's one of the biggest areas uh, that we've talked about in healthcare where uh, they don't feel they can talk to providers, specialists, especially doctors, white coat syndrome, uh, when they have these real fears. Uh, and we want to, we really want to keep them safe and we want them to ask us those questions. Yeah, I think there's a two-pronged approach there. Um, one, I think, you know, as healthcare providers, we have um, a big responsibility to make sure that our patients know that it is okay to ask a question. So we, I think we are realizing slowly, but, and we're trying, some some folks are trying to do a better job, but there's more that we can do um, to take some of the paternalism out of medicine. And then, you know, but what that looks like is we have to like make sure people know it's okay to ask a question. On the patient side, I think, Again, we need to work on tools um, so that patients know that it's their right to ask a question, how to ask a question, because sometimes you don't, you feel like, I don't want to ask a question. I don't want to seem like I'm challenging the doctor or, you know, I'm being annoying. Even as a patient, having been a patient myself, you know, I can recall that feel, oh, the doctor's so busy, I don't want right. to, you know, or sometimes, you know, the doctor's so busy and you feel like they're rushing out of the room and you've, and all of a sudden you've just forgotten a question that you wanted to ask. Yes. Um, one thing that I have really started to encourage people to do is come to your appointment with somebody. And of course, COVID presented a challenge with that, right? That's right. Because now you can only come by yourself. That's right. But... Again, if you can, the technology, you can write your questions down. That's one thing. Um, but you can also have somebody on the phone. If you can't have somebody in person with you, can I, can I have my relative on the phone with me? Because I think sometimes, again, with the medical jargon and the medical, technolo- uh, the medical terminology, Sometimes you hear a couple words and then it kind of goes over your head. So it's helpful to have someone else who's hearing everything and can help process. Um, And so I routinely and regularly invite parents, partners, moms, grandmas, aunts, whoever wants to be there, come for the prenatal visit, come for the GYN visit. I think it's really important um, for people to have that advocate with them who can be that second listener, you know, and if it's a COVID situation or whatever the next pandemic is, you know, we have to start to think of these solutions so that the next time, because we know how isolating it was right. when people were in the hospital by themselves, families felt terrible when they couldn't connect with their right. family members, they couldn't be there, they couldn't get information. That's a terrible feeling. And, and I would say it's not so much as a I gotcha when they say they want to have their family member or, or a friend on the phone. Uh, make it known that you're going to have someone on the phone listening if you can't bring them in the office or they can't come in the office with you uh, just so you have that second set of ears. Because the terminology, even though we know it when we're on the other end being a patient, all of that goes out of the window or a caregiver for a loved one. Right. No, uh, absolutely. I think you're you you're transparent about it and you say I want to have my family member on the phone. 
I'm very open to it. I know sometimes officers say you can't be on your cell phone, but I think there is a place where you say, no, I want to have my family member on the phone because they can't be here in person with me, but I need somebody here to hear the same thing I'm hearing, to process what I'm hearing. And I think if somebody's not willing to allow that to happen, then I think we need to question, like, why not? Like, why is that Ask not that okay? Why. Exactly. Like, Ask that why. Uh, and, and we say that recognizing that there's limited specialists, uh, but we want to make sure that relationship is there with the providers that you work with. Speaking of support for our healthcare workers, on March 18th, President Biden signed into law the Dr. Lorna Breen Healthcare Provider Protection Act designed to support the mental health of healthcare providers. It includes funding and support of burnout prevention in this population. So on the one hand, you have pandemic fatigue affecting us differently. On the other hand, you have people tired of wearing masks, physical distancing, being away from family and friends, increasingly fed up with the new normal routines, burnout throughout. Um, If you can leave us with anything, knowing providers are tired as well, uh, how can we support them with their mental health and wellness? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, each of the facilities um, recognize um, the importance of mental health and have different... um, are starting to recognize the mental health component and the need to support um, that in a variety of different ways. Um, I know, you know, there are different peer support groups. There are different warm lines. There are some um, groups that are doing kind of anonymous, you know, just call up and, you know, tell us what your problem is. It's anonymous. You don't have to identify yourself type of situations. Um, I think... You know, also what is helpful, um, one of the things that, and I think most um, clinicians, you know, just like smiling and saying good morning. Like sometimes those like little things we (laughs) forget because we're just like so in the moment of just like go, 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 you know. But good morning. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for being here. Like, can you yes. see that smile through the mask? <laughs> <laughs> you can because the, the little eyes. the eyes go up. You know, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, um, even as a clinician, you know, I would say to some of the staff members that I work with, you know, no, it's not, you know extra money in your pocket, but I think they do appreciate just the kind words and a positive attitude. You know, um, people want to be recognized that, you know, they're doing something extraordinary. Um, You know, so any of these kind of little things that you can do, I think, are is really important. Um, From like a 360 degree lens. And so I do that with patients as well, you know. And for me, when a patient says thank you, not that they have to say thank you, but right. I mean, how thoughtful is that? Sure. When they say basic kindness. You know, thank you, you know, for doing this for me, you know. And I say thank you to them also because I know it's a struggle. Right. You know, I know it's hard. Um, and if a family member comes and I'd say thank you for being here because you're we're we're a team. We're all working together. But sometimes just in 
the struggle of everything. We just kind of lose that (laughs) basic humanity that we need to hold on to, I think. Please and thank you still goes a long way. A long way. Absolutely. A long way. And, you know, I I also think that sometimes um, when we say mental health and we, you know, have to recognize that there is a stigma for many folks when we talk about mental health. But mental health doesn't mean like you're going to a psychiatrist or you're going to a straight jacket. Not that that's a bad thing. thing. (laughs) No. But I mean, it doesn't always mean that. Right. 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 It just means that, you know, the mental health and the physical health are connected. And so sometimes it's what I call talk therapy. Sometimes it's just talking things out. It doesn't always mean medication. But in communities where mental health is highly stigmatized. One of the reasons it's highly stigmatized is because it always because sometimes the thinking is that mental health always means a psychiatrist. Too many and movies. they think that the psychiatrist <laughs> means medication right. and a straight jacket and being locked away. I'm I don't think psychiatrists are bad at all. I don't yes. think therapists are bad at all. But I'm just saying yes. in no in in those ways, when it's highly stigmatized, it's because it's associated Certainly. in that way. Certainly. But Certainly. That's, it doesn't always have to be that. So is there anything uh, you'd like to leave our listeners with as we wrap up? So much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We've covered a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, you know, so many things, but I think I would um, try to sum it up mm-hmm. um, in a couple of different ways. Um, the past two years has been incredibly life-changing on so many different levels. Um, and, you know, everybody, you know, and, and, you know, you think about these terms, frontline workers, essential workers, you know, we're all essential in we are all essential to our families. That's right. We're all essential in our communities. Um, and so we have all gone through so much. Um, so now, as we have to try to navigate what this quote-unquote new normal looks like, I think what we have to ke- keep in mind is that... Um, Change is part of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, probably COVID is something that we're going to live with ongoing. Um, and there's still some things we don't know about COVID, right? Because now we are still starting to see uh, the effects of what people are terming as long COVID, right? So we're learning more and more about that. And maybe there are going to be other viruses or other pathogens. So it goes back to what are those lessons that we learned? I think we learned that we're resilient, that we can do more than we thought we could. Um, And we always want to try to bring out the positive sides um, in, in many different aspects in what we can do. But that's not to not acknowledge you know, the heavy burden that so many have gone through, particularly our young people being at home um, and that socialization at such a critical time period. Um, I recognize 
you know, that that is crucial. And, you know, I don't want to belittle that at all. But we can get through it, you know. We can get through it. We We're are resilient. getting through it. We are <laughs> resilient. And, and as I look at um, a couple of stickers on your computer, it says, don't forget to be awesome. So uh, taking that with us, remembering to smile, even with the mask on, um, Dr. Campbell, you said change is a part of life. And you said that a couple of times, which mm-hmm. I think we need to remember that. Um, and being patient with each other uh, and showing respect. All critical pieces that we learn early in life, we sometimes forget as adults, mm-hmm. but we need to use those skills and remember those words. I'm Shavonda Sumter. Thanks for listening to There's Sumter About It. There's Sumter About It, a podcast from WBGO Studios. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or go to wbgo.org studios. Associate producer, Regina Wilder. Produced by Jamara Wakefield. Engineered by Corey Goldberg. Executive produced by Billy Robinson.